Welcome to Primary Technology. We cover the biggest tech news of the week and why it matters. On today's show, the Apple Vision Pro is imminent. We're going to give a preview of CES. Microsoft put a co-pilot button on its keyboard, plus launched its app. And we're going to get into some of our personal tech, including Apple's Infinite Loop Store that's closing soon. This episode is brought to you by Audio Hijack by Rogue Amoeba, one of my favorite apps. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me, as always, is my friend Jason Aiton. How's it going, Jason? It's great, Stephen. We are finally doing this for real, for real. We are finally doing it for real, for real. This has been this has been very exciting. Uh, I've been teasing it on social media, and people have been slowly finding the show uh, because you know I wanted it published everywhere before we actually launched. Stuff takes a day or two, and so people have been uh, sharing it, posting it, and so thank you for doing that. And I'll get into uh, I think towards the end of the show, talk a little bit about like like meta talk about the podcast, but I'll save it. I'll save it. Not Facebook. No, 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 no. Sorry, we're not talking about Facebook. <laughs> I I just be clear. Not, not, not Facebook Meta. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna have a bonus episode today as well, which you can get that by subscribing directly in Apple Podcasts or at primarytech.fm. There'll be a button there where you can sign up for a special subscriber feed. We're talking about how we met. And also naming the show, which naming something is tough. I don't know if you knew that, Jason. Naming something is tough. I mean, I have four kids, so yes, I'm very familiar with how tough <laughs> it is go. to name things. There you go. Yes, naming kids is tough. And then you think you get a unique name, and then once you name your kid that thing, I don't know about you, but I just hear the kid's name then everywhere. Like everyone named their kid that. Did you experience that with any of your kids? Yeah, and... Yeah, well, and our biggest problem was we have four children. Yeah. Well, that's not the biggest problem, but <laughs> once we got to the... Th I'm going to put that as the teaser at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> uh, the four kids all have names that start with the letter M because right. the first two girls both had names that started with M. Sure. So you can't like name your next kid something totally different because then it's like, mm -hmm. why is his name different? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the problem here? So once you get to two, you have to stick with it. And so then yep. by the fourth kid, we're like... What names that start with M do we still like? Mm. And that's your name. So. Monsieur. We'll just call you Monsieur Aiton. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. So we're going to do some, some quick news bits at the top of the show every week. And then we have a couple big topics, namely Apple Vision Pro and CES. Actually, have already have follow-up from our first episode. And then we'll talk about our personal tech at the end. So first up, Humane. Every time I mention Humane on, on social media, it's, it's hilarious because everyone's like, this thing is going to flop. But they now have a commercial. And I watched the commercial. It's on YouTube. And I'll put a link in the podcast show notes, of course. And this, this commercial is like all these like, like, quote unquote, like just normal people living their life, also wearing the AI pin. And it's kind of hilarious because there's even like a, this like party on the rooftop of some building. And you see these like young people all talking and like they're all wearing an AI pin. I was like, this future <laughs> by humane is quite unique. I, I just want to say had getting one like I have one on the way. Supposedly they launch in March. <laughs> Humane has said they were like early next year when the pre-order started. And now they're like, man, well, March. I am hoping this thing actually ships. I think it will. I have one coming. You know, I'm extremely skeptical. Like your article said, we'll put a link to this ink article in the show notes. It basically is going to do everything a phone and watch does, but just kind of worse. But it's new tech. And I'm excited about new tech to try it. Did you pre-order one? Like they didn't give any journalists any like pre or early access to this thing, but did you pre-order one with the like intention to write about it? No, I did not. And it was even weirder than what you said because they actually did invite some journalists to a briefing to talk about it or to their like launch event, but they didn't invite any reviewers. Right. Like the Joanna Stern wasn't there. Like the people who would normally, and in fact, there was a big thing where like some people were invited and then like uninvited at the last minute. Yeah. David Pierce, I think from The Verge. Yeah. I think you're right. I think he like went and just waited and then was like, oh, sorry, you're out of luck. So, but my, the reason I wrote about it was simply because when you watch this commercial, which actually is not new, 
the fact I saw it on TV over the weekend and that was new, but what was interesting to me is it's like, it's basically telling you all the things you can do on any Google phone or any iPhone right now. It's just way more awkward because it's like this, you have to keep touching your chest to get it to do things. And my, the premise of my thing was like, you know what the perfect accessory for all of those things is it already exists. It's a watch, right? It's and it's an accessory to your phone. So I don't know. I think it's really novel and interesting. I just, the commercial makes me feel like you aren't telling the story you think you are. So the, the two things I find somewhat compelling, and I think the story that Humane is trying to say is, you know, hold your phone less, be on your phone less. And there's a couple like trying to play music on a city street with an ink <laughs> display. I don't see that happening. But anyway, when the mom is like saying capture this moment and she's looking at her baby, I think taking her first steps. What we see. <laughs> capture this. Like she doesn't have to have her face behind a phone. She can look with her eyeballs at her child and then the pin is capturing it. How is framing and how good is that going to be? Like where you have it placed on your clothing? You know, if you wear the AI pin on your leg, you know, how, what kind of video is that going to capture? I don't know. So like, I understand the idea. Like you can still look with your eyeballs and still capture the moment, but not be kind of engrossed in a device. And those young people like talking on a rooftop, they ask the pin for something and it's like, you know, it would feel nice if you could all like look at each other in the face and still do something with a piece of tech that doesn't like disengage you from the people around you by pulling out your phone. But I just, I don't know. What is the cap- capturing of that kid? And it, right. if it's capturing everything in the room, it's a pretty wide angle lens, which means it's probably a garbage photo. Like, anyway, <laughs> That's true. I, don't know. I just thought the commercial was, I'm like, I'm watching this in a basketball game and I still don't think I want one. <laughs> Well, I'm getting one. I'm I'm taking the uh, taking the L for everybody. I bought one, and uh, we'll see. I'm still it still feels a little bit like that cooler on Kickstarter that never shipped. They had like a built-in blender, and everything. Mm. <laughs> we'll see if this if this actually comes out. Yeah. Also, Samsung is having their event later this month. Samsung S24 unpacked events happening on January 17th. Did you say you were going to this thing? You're going to be at this? Uh, yeah, they they are doing an in-person event uh, in in. I think San Jose. Um, so yeah. I'm, I am planning on going. The reason is because they're, they're sort of promoting it as like the first AI phone, which is mm. funny because I feel like Google has used that before. You know, I think there are a lot of phone companies that would argue that there's a lot of AI, whatever that means built into their phones already. But I think, right. it, I think it'll be interesting to see what Samsung's take on this is. And we'll see the new S24 phone lineup, which looks like it's going to be very similar to the S23. I don't know if you watched uh, MKBHD's like smartphone awards, but he does think highly of the the Galaxy phones. I'm curious, like I'm coming from a basically all Apple bubble now trying to expand my coverage and ideas about technology to all these companies. And I know you're like an Apple guy kind of first. How do you approach like this S24? Are you going to get an S24 and like write about it? Or do you just kind of ignore things like this? Like, how do you decide what to cover? Yeah, I mean, I don't ignore them. I have covered, I mean, I actually just, thought about this morning i have a fold sitting right here um (laughs) and it's i mean it's and that's fine and the i've reviewed several of the galaxy phones the thing that's difficult for me is yeah the cameras are great the software is android plus whatever samsung does to it they're they're good android phones like i have no problem recommending them to someone who says what i really want is an android phone the hard thing for me personally is that I don't really want to give up using my iPhone for three weeks, which is what it really takes to review a phone. I'm just, right. and the reason is it's funny because 
I don't want to mess up like all my messages and I don't want to mess up all that kind of stuff just to, I mean, like it would just be a pain. So I do have a second SIM that I use for this purpose. But again, unless you make something your primary device, you're not, you're not really reviewing it in the same way. So I do try really hard to like, that's why I have this here. I, I carry it around to try to do things with it, but I don't actually use it as a daily driver ever because it's just so it doesn't work with all of the things they have set up in the ecosystem. What you're saying already, is so. because it doesn't have iMessage yeah, matter <laughs> because it doesn't have blue bubbles. That's actually probably true. To be honest, that's yeah, that, that might be the single biggest reason. I, and I've never really thought of it that way, but I can do, I mean, I can put spark on it. I mean, I have spark on it, yeah. which is my email app. I can put, you can put Pocket Casts, Cast, right? Spotify. Yeah. I can put all those things on there. I can pretty Slack. I can pretty closely mimic it. The only other apps that I can't get on it are like Ulysses, which is what I write in. Right. Um, but for the most part, I could get pretty close, but the messaging really would mess it up for me. <laughs> but amazing. think about it this way. If I was thinking of switching to Android, mm. that would be less of a big deal to me. The reason is I don't want to have a three-week chunk where everything just got totally jacked up. Right. That's my reason. You know, I've seen uh, Joshua Topolsky really hammering Apple and iMessage on threads and talking about how there have been people who will switch from iPhone to Android, but all the people that had them in their phone in iMessage conversations, you know, it's sometimes hard to tell, am I messaging their email address? Because that was like the default iMessage endpoint. Or was it their phone number? And there'll be people who have switched from iPhone to Android saying we lost like weeks and months of messages. That is a legitimate issue. Like I, t- I, I totally get that. But I am also like you, like I have a Google Pixel and I had thought about doing a video like I use a Google Pixel for three weeks and I'm like, no, you know, iMessage is one, but also like you're saying the apps, like Ulysses is a big one for you. For me, the calendar on Android, I still could not like, Fantastical is so good on the iPhone and I have it like just so nailed down with my calendar sets and my focus modes. I've not found a calendar equivalent on Android and I think like things and reminders, like all of those things that are part of the Apple ecosystem. And now like iCloud Keychain, I've been leaning more on that in the last few months than on 1Password and there's no equivalent on Android. You can get Windows, you know, you can get the uh, browser extension if you want to use Chrome on Windows and iCloud Keychain. You can even get Apple Music on Android. That app is there. I still kind of wish Apple Podcasts would come to Android for like the subscription side, but that that switching cost is getting harder and harder, you know, whether that's criticism or whatnot, but that, I don't know, for me, it's getting harder, so... I won't be using it. I will tell you, I wrote, I, I'm going to save you some time. Don't make the video. Okay, good. I already wrote that article and no one cared. <laughs> I wrote about giving up my, my yeah. iPhone and my MacBook for a pixel, a Google pixel yeah. and a, some windows computer that I had at the time that I was reviewing okay. and yeah, nobody, nobody cared. cared. No one cared. Uh, you know, <laughs> I did cared. experience that. I made a video on the pixel eight camera and like, that's one of my lowest performing videos of last year. So I was like, okay, I guess this is not a thing. I won't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wait. Yeah. What I learned is that no one is interested in my experience of doing that because everyone is just sticking with what they have. Mm, so. That's good. That's a good point. All right. A couple other quick news. Uh, DHH who is with Hey, Uh, They have submitted a new app to the App Store called Hey Calendar, Hey Email app, which came out about two and a half years ago. And there was a big kerfuffle, uh, if I could use that word, on the 30% App Store cut because they were trying to, they just wanted the people to be able to sign up in the app. And of course, if people were going to pay in the app for the Hey Email service, they were going to take 30%, Apple's going to take 30%. It was a big thing. I think that even went... Not this particular case went to court, but I think eventually there was the court case, the Epic v. Apple, where Apple at least now has to allow you a link 
uh, or developers are at least allowed a link from their app out to their website for people to sign up, which is still not a great experience, but it helps developers not, you know, have to pay that the 30% let people sign up outside the app. But now this Hey Calendar app, a new app from Hey, has been rejected from the App Store and DHH David Hanemeyer Hansen, which I interviewed on the Apple Insider podcast. And you interview who did you interview again? The other co-founder. Um, I interviewed Jason Freed, the other co-founder uh, for a piece uh, on Inc. They had created a service, right? Hayes existed as a service, and mm-hmm. they wanted to give their customers the ability to access it on their iPhones. So they were releasing it as an iPhone app, and Apple at the time said, "They you cannot submit this app without offering in-app purchase because someone could theoretically download this app and not know what to do because they don't already have a Hey account. So you have to make it possible for them to create an account. Right. And they ended up getting around that by making that possible, but you still can't actually like pay for an account in there. You can just create like a free trial essentially, but then you have to go to the website I think that this is still true. And the Hey Calendar is actually just another layer of the same service. They're just offering it as a separate app. I don't know why they're offering it as a separate app. That seems kind of strange to me, like if you're having these two things combined. Yeah, it it was a big deal then. To be clear... DHH doesn't say why Apple hasn't said why they rejected it, right? Like there isn't anything clear about why they didn't say the reason we're rejecting this. It just sort of lends more fuel to the complaint that Apple is not always transparent about this sort of thing. And then by the time you find out what's going on, it's like, oh yeah, we want some more money. Right. So DHH is one to not be quiet about this. And so you will be on social media and you could probably follow the entire saga there. I know Casey Liss, who made the call sheet app, we talked about that in our first bonus episode as one of our favorite apps for 2023. He had talked about how the app store rejected his app initially, which shows you like movie information, actors and all that kind of stuff because of the images of movies, specifically Pixar movies that were showing up in the app. And there was some weird app store rule that you couldn't uh, like display that for copyright or whatever. And he was like, but this is a movie app. Like, I'm not using this image. You know, this is actually also coming from, I think, the movie database uh, that he's using to power his app. And that was one of those cases where I think he actually got on the phone with someone uh, eventually after several weeks or several months. So we'll see how this actually shakes out, whether this is actually about the 30% cut. Uh, But, you know, DHH, he's going to be out there talking about it. Yes, which means we're going to know. We're going to know what's going on. We will know what's going on. All right, last piece of news before we get to CES and Vision Pro, Microsoft Copilot, which the app came out for iPhone, uh, I think last week. And I actually downloaded it because Microsoft Copilot is Microsoft's like AI tool powered by ChatGPT. And I was like, let me try this because I have the GPT app on my phone, mainly to use the shortcuts action. And sometimes that shortcuts action is a little buggy. So I was like, let me download Copilot, see how that is. And it's basically just another way to interact with ChatGPT. There's no shortcuts actions with the Copilot app for the iPhone, but you can use ChatGPT4 without having a GPT Plus account if you wanted to try that. Uh, I think that's one of the major benefits of the app on the iPhone if you wanted to try it. But now Microsoft is putting a Copilot key on its keyboard, which if you ever use the Windows PC, you know there's that Windows button, which I believe is the start menu, uh, for uh, the, like that's the default behavior on a Windows PC, and now it's going to be the Copilot. Yeah, that's kind of a big change. You used to have two Windows buttons, right, right one, one on either side. side, and they a couple was it five years ago they changed one of them to the Office. Oh, button, really? <laughs> which okay, I never even whatever. Even yeah, and I don't know what it does because I don't. I try not to use a Windows computer. Oh, I mean, I, I generally I review them sometimes, but again, I have the same problem as Android. It's like I can't even set up all the apps that I use, so right. it's it's sort of hard, but. 
I mean, and that isn't to say there are some very good Windows computers, sure, and actually, sure. Windows itself makes some very good computers. I should say that, but it is sort of interesting. They are so all in on this that they are, you know, literally replacing a button that's been there for like thirty years right. with a different button. Whether it does the same thing, or I mean, in spirit, it probably is meant to, you know, if you push the Windows button before, it was like, find a thing on my computer, right? Like it would bring up the start menu, you could search for things, you could do whatever. So now it's like, you're just going to type the same thing in natural language. So that doesn't necessarily feel that weird. It's just, you're making a physical change to a piece of hardware that always comes with pretty high stakes. And in the article that you are are showing that, that we will link in here, it talks about how like Microsoft's partners, like OEM manufacturers are planning to, to add this button as well. So like, it's a, it's a pretty significant change. It's they're baking it in yeah. and you have to think like they're doing this, they're baking it in. So like, there's no going back. This is like a burn the ships moment right. for Microsoft. It's like, we're, we're going to put this, I mean, we're literally putting a button on the keyboard. You don't, you, you, they only change that every 30 years or whatever. It's, it's, it's here to stay. So at least they think it is. It's interesting too, because I thought as we enter 2024, that AI, like in the conversation would be less, prevalent you know 2023 was everywhere chat gpt early in the year really kind of pushed that to the forefront of everybody's mind and it felt like towards the end of the year people were getting tired of it you know i tried doing several videos about ai and it was like nobody cared anymore but now it seems like the galaxy unpacked event is going to be of the huge ai focus microsoft literally putting a co-pilot button on their keyboard feels like we might get another surge of this and i'm also thinking wwdc from apple's perspective really feels like they they need they need to do something They've now said AI, like the word several times. Johnny Saruji said it at the M3 event. And mm-hmm. Tim Cook even said AI several times with his interview with uh, Doja Cat. And he talked about how like the Apple keyboard is their AI, which I mean, let's, yep. I, I get it. You know, I, I understand where he's coming from. It's a little bit of a reach, but. <laughs> a little bit of a reach. But I do think at WWDC this year, we need to see something in regards to Siri, which I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, the last couple of WWDCs, there's not really been a Siri focus. You know, I think early days of Siri, there were literally parts of the DubDub event where they would say, you know, new actions or hooks for developers to be able to plug in like things and other calendar apps, you know, would get more direct access. And it felt like after that kind of initial few years of developers really getting their hands into be able to use certain parts of Siri, we never got anything else. I remember I was waiting for years of like, can I ask, uh, maybe I should stop saying it because it's going to keep triggering everybody's devices. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> like, will I be able to... Everybody's podcast is already paused because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. I was I was waiting for the day when I was using Pocket Cast as my default listening app to be able to use the digital assistant on my iPhone to play a podcast in that app, which you can do, again, like you can do a task or to-do in things, a third-party app, because there's that literal... Siri integration, the API, but they never, like, they didn't keep opening it up to people. And now you can do, I see a lot of TikToks and reels where people are like just talking to the Chat GPT app because the Chat GPT voice right. tool is like really good. And there's even this one video, I'll try to find it, but there's this lady who's like, she has this one minute question about, she's basically asking about like currency exchanges. Like why is the money in the U S different than the money in other places? Why is it different numbers? She has this long question that any normal human would probably be like, what are you saying? And ChatGPT like gets it, understands what she's asking. ChatGPT was like, it thinks like you're asking, I think you're asking about currency exchanges. And there's lots of factors that go into that. And it's like, wow. Okay. 
the money is less valuable, but like it's more and you gotta have so much. <laughs> why is that? It sounds like you're curious about why some countries have higher numerical values for their currency compared to others. This did better than probably yep. any other voice assistant uh, could on the market. And so it does feel like Apple needs to do something this year. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, I mean, and I think the last time I really remember hearing much about Siri was when they built that big set for, I think it was the HomePod minis maybe. And they just right. did a lot of the demos about things you could just shout into the air and have it, you know, unlock your car or whatever, like just all these different things. That was the last time I really remember them spending any amount of time. I don't remember if that was, I think that was WWDC, but I honestly don't really remember. Mm. So it has been a while and it's almost, I feel like I have no information that they've sort of let it lay kind of low for a little bit because they did not have a direct, like especially this past year, because they did not have a direct answer to the, are you building a large language model? Are you going to incorporate this into your, your voice assistant? They didn't really want to have to answer those questions yet. And so they didn't say much of anything about it. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that as they start to build that out and there are a lot of reports that Apple is working on that sort of thing. I think that there's a better chance that we'll hear more about it. And the fact that they did talk about it specifically in terms of the MacBook Pro, that it is a device designed to be able to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And by do this sort of thing, I mean like people who are developing these large language models can use these machines to do a lot of the tasks that they do. I have no idea what those are, but they told me that it was a good thing for that. So right. if I ever get into that, I've got the right computer. But in the meantime, I'm just as entertained by it all as you are. And I think that as Apple starts to build that out, if they release their own, if they have a big upgrade to Siri where it doesn't stink anymore, right? <laughs> then I think that we'll start to hear about it again. Because that's really what Apple does. If they don't have anything to say about it, they just don't say anything about it. They are not going to be, you know, persuaded by anyone else. So I do think Apple is uniquely positioned to use an AI tool like this with their iWork suite, obviously in Final Cut, in Xcode for auto-filling things for developers, even just something simple as let's say you have a bullet point list in notes or pages. To select those, ask Apple's AI assistant to make some keynote slides based on that info, format it nicely, maybe even pull in some random imagery, like Apple's graded imagery, like we see it at every event or whatever, like just little uh, tools like that, yep. I think would raise the value of the iWork suite, which I love all their, like I use keynote and pages, uh, but I know most places it's like, it's all Microsoft, it's all office. Right. And so I think some of those other uh, benefits might make people want to at least try it, you know, test it out just like they did with uh, ChatGPT. Uh, but before we get to the other big topics, tell me, uh, because I didn't realize this, you told me right before the show started that the New York Times is suing Microsoft over this. What is this? They're suing OpenAI and Microsoft, actually. Wow. So the it's a pretty big deal. And it's it's basically a copyright infringement. Uh, and also, and I actually read this like 69 pages long, 70 pages long, plus hundreds of thousands of pages of exhibits because there's all these examples of where right. they asked Chad GPT to spit out an article on a topic and it was pretty close to what the New York Times would have Wow. done. And so the New York Times like basically dis is claiming that not only is this copyright infringement because they don't have any permission to ingest all of their content, right? The, the New York Times has essentially made all of its content that it's ever produced, right? Right back, you know, a hundred and some years available in, as an archive online. Right. And so that's all available to be ingested. And it was. And so they're talking about how it's diluting their brand because if someone produces a article that sounds like the New York Times sort of, but is making stuff up, then that's bad, right? right. And it's also, it, it's really expensive to be the New York Times, right? <laughs> and journalism in general is really expensive. So there's sort of this like dilution. It will be interesting because I think it will, 
it has the potential to answer some of the really most complicated questions, which is, is it okay for these large language models to just suck in all of the content that's ever been created for the purpose of training these models? Mm. I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea what the outcome is going to be, but it is definitely going to be interesting. I definitely spent a day reading this because <laughs> it's a lawsuit and I'm not a lawyer, so it takes me longer, sure, but sure. I'm, I'm glad that I did because it's it's going to be really interesting. So. And this is something Neil Patel on The Verge has been talking about for probably the last two years that like lawsuits are coming. Like this is what yep. it means that people who make con- like original content, especially people like the New York Times and other like journalists, news people, like this is going to be an issue of like just AI generated content and all that. So it's happening. It's happening. Yep. As the gift says, it's happening. It is happening. So we got two big topics. We want to talk about CES. I think both of us are on the fence of going. I think one of us might be going. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that. And also the Vision Pro, which is imminent. But before we do, I'm so excited to tell you that even on this first inaugural launch episode, yeah, we already had that kind of other episode, but this is like the real, like the main first one. We have a sponsor and this sponsor is one of my favorite companies and apps ever, which is Rogue Amoeba. And they make the applications Audio Hijack, Loopback, Farago, all of that. Let me talk to you about Audio Hijack because Jason and I are literally using Audio Hijack right now. Right now, as you listen to this, it is Audio Hijack recording it to our max. And how long have you used Audio Hijack, Jason? Has it been been a minute? Probably when I first started to podcast, which I guess was, so it's been like two or three years. So not as long as some people, but it definitely has been a game changer for me. Been a game changer. I've been using it for years and years. I literally use Audio Hijack every day. If I'm recording audio for one of my videos on YouTube, I have Audio Hijack sitting in my menu bar, which is a great feature of Audio Hijack. You can just have a little symbol in the menu bar. You can start running one of your sessions and you can set up multiple sessions. I have one for recording this podcast. I have a session for recording my video. And even if it's just going from a mic to a little meter, the meters can show up in the menu bar, and then I can record that to an uncompressed wave or MP3. Extremely powerful recording, and they've been adding a ton of new features as well. You can live stream from Audio Hijack if you wanna send live audio to something like YouTube. They've even added a transcription feature. And Audio Hijack is really easy to build a chain of events. These little blocks, you drag them in, you connect the blocks, and you can actually transcribe audio with one of those blocks. You can add things like EQ and compressor, audio effects. It is an extremely powerful audio application. So if you do anything with audio, recording it, making videos, if you want to start a podcast, Audio Hijack is the app to get. And they also have great apps like Loopback. I actually use Audio Hijack in conjunction with Loopback for a couple scenarios. My brother-in-law has a complicated like video podcast setup with a Scarlett, uh, like an 18i20. And in order to get all the audio to go to the right places, I actually use Loopback, creating virtual audio devices where you can really control the chain of audio across your Mac. It is an incredible tool. Highly recommend. And because they're our inaugural launch sponsor, highly recommend. You should just just go flood there. You, know, you can't really like sell out of a digital product, <laughs> but I guess you could just like just to take out their servers just because everyone goes, downloads Audio Hijack to try it. And there's actually a special deal. I'm so excited because I get to read a custom URL with our name on the end. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> so here's what you do. Through the end of January, you have all this month, you can save $20 on Audio Hijack and any of the bundles from Rogue Amoeba. You go to the website, macaudio.com slash primary tech. That's our URL, macaudio, macaudio.com slash primary tech. And use the promo code primary tech, all one word to save $20 on Audio Hijack and any of their bundles. MacAudio.com slash primary tech. Use the promo code primary tech and you can save 
$20. That link and the promo code is also in the show notes. You could just click it there. Our thanks to Rogue Amoeba and Audio Hijack for sponsoring this episode. Man, I'm excited. It's fun. That was really fun. I want to say one thing about Audio Hijack that maybe, because I think some people might have heard that and been like, that sounds a little complicated. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Because, and it does sound complicated because it can do a lot of things, but I just want to give like a real world scenario. I had a conversation with someone who is a teacher and this teacher is, it does still does like the virtual school. There are still students who do virtual school even post COVID, like that's a lot of districts have offered that and they wanted to record the audio from their lessons and that kind of thing. And zoom does such a terrible job of recording the audio that they started using audio hijack because essentially what it does is it lets you take any input source into your computer and essentially send it wherever you want. So like you can have a microphone and you can say, yes, send that to zoom because they need to hear me, but also send it to this file and then send it to a pair of headphones. And like, it just gives you, and it's very visual and lets you set up these blocks. And so Yes. Not saying anything negative towards this particular teacher person, but they aren't necessarily the most tech savvy, but they were able to figure it out because they were able to just like move blocks around and it it just did it. So I just, I wanted like people who are listening to this to know that like, this is a great tool, even if you're not a podcaster. That is so good. Thank you for sharing that wonderful links in the podcast show notes. Thank you. Rogue Amoeba and Audio Hijack. All right. CES is next week as we record. It's the big consumer electronics show. I have never been. I have never been to CES. Tell me, Jason, how, how many, if ever, have you been to CES? I think I've been to four oh my CESs. I've, I think I've been to four of them. So yeah. Four CESs. Listen, I have, um, I was so close. I mean, as we record, I mean, there's still a chance. I was like, I've never been to CES. Now that I've been more on YouTube, there's been like a bunch of people kind of messaging me like, hey, you're going to be at CES? Like, let's get together, like content creators. And I'm like, yeah, I wasn't going to go. And then I'm like, let me just see, because you can register uh, with CES to be like a media where I guess you don't have to pay the registration fee. Is that accurate? Like you can kind of go for right. free. You just have to get there. And uh, so I, I was like yeah. late, uh, I think it was Monday night or whatever. I was like, let me see if they'll accept me as media. And they did. So I'm like <laughs> registered to go. I have no plane ticket, no intention of going. That might change by the end of this podcast. But are, are you going like, are you going this year? Have you decided? So here's the thing. I'm probably in the opposite like situation as you I'll explain in just a second. I do want to say CES. The interesting thing about it is you have to be an industry person, right? right? It's you can't just as a consumer buy a ticket right. to CES. You have to be and I don't know all the ways they define industry people, people who work for big tech companies, big, whatever companies, people who are like analysts, people who are buyers of different things, all that kind of stuff. So it is all, it's like a very industry focused sure. event, but it is where a lot of the consumer technology comes from. Yes, as a media, that's one of the categories. But I don't, I mean, I think people pay like thousands of dollars to go to this if they're a part of these different categories of people. And I would never pay that, <laughs> pay that much money because it is 170,000 people in Vegas, which is just a little bit overwhelming. Yes. I mean, it's it's huge. It's, huge. it's It takes place at the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is massive, but it also takes place at like the Venetian and oh my the, you know, Aria and all these different places and stuff. And so I am, I've always like I've gone several times, including 2020, right before COVID. And anyone who tells you that COVID came in March, I promise you it came to CES. Like it's got to be how it came. I mean, there's 170,000 people from all over the world. I came home and was sick for like three days, which is pretty typical after leaving sure. Vegas, but that was especially bad. But anyway, I, so I have a ticket, I have tickets, a plane ticket. I have a hotel, all that kind of stuff. But there is a part of me that's like, hmm, do I want to go again? Because I know how much it's, it is definitely one of those things for someone in our industry that should 
do it mm. at least once, right? But it's it is also one of those things where it's like, do I need to do it again? And for me, I do get I, I the the thing I measure is the time and investment and energy that it takes sure. to go. Is that worth what I'll be covering? And could I cover some of that stuff without going? And so that's yeah. always the trade off. And in the past, I've had like I've had some great, um, you know, opportunities to to connect with people. I've I've you know I've been at different sessions. I've covered different things. Um, it, it it is a good sure. experience. I'm just like you have no ticket except for your pass, and you're trying to decide to go. I have everything booked, and I'm trying to decide if I'm still going to go. <laughs> Our follow up next week: one of us might be podcasting from CES. <laughs> Um, I am. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm probably not going to go this year, but I do want to go because I remember, I mean, I started following tech news like back when Joshua Topolsky, Neelai and Paul Miller were at Engadget. Joanna Stern was theirs. I mean, this is like 2006, seven time. And CES was always such a fun event to follow from a distance because there did seem to be like major announcements. Big tech companies were saying, you know, big thing. I think we saw phones at CES back then, not Apple. Uh, but other companies, right? You know, CES is in recent years, it's felt a little less so. Although, because I do love like smart home and HomeKit stuff, we do see those kinds of devices at HomeKit. And uh, you know, in a moment, I'd love to hear like what you expect to see at CES. But HomeKit stuff, I actually have even had. I don't know. I don't know how much of this I can say. But I've actually had a couple briefings already. <laughs> uh, you know, because and co- like there were a lot of companies. I guess they they are very sensitive to the to the fact that a lot of journalists and tech creators are not going to CES, but they're going to make announcements there. Right. So they were like, Hey, we can give you a uh, video call briefing in the middle of December. Just don't talk about it until January something when we launch it. Yeah. So I have, have you had some of those? Are you allowed to say not who? I, well, I mean, it's totally fine to say you've had yeah, yeah. embargoed briefings as long as you don't say who they you were say with, who right? Like, like, yeah. But I did check this morning because we had this on here. And so, you know, I, I practice inbox zero, not religiously, but by the end of the week, I want everything right, out right. of my inbox, right? So in my inbox alone, so that's like since the beginning of this week, I checked this morning and I have about two uh, 268 oh emails from people wanting to set up briefings. I will not do 268 <laughs> briefings. Um, I might not even go, <laughs> but I will say that that has been one of the most valuable reasons for going. Yeah. It's fun to watch the trade, walk the trade show floor. That's the part that everyone should right. probably do at least once you see all the big TVs. Like that's the, like the big, the biggest booths that are there are like right. LG and Samsung and they got like foldable TVs DCL that and, curve and like fit in your pocket. Or yeah. The roll, roll up, up TVs. They've yeah. got all these different things there. Yeah. And that's, that's great. Like, like it's very, very cool to see all that right. kind of stuff. After a while, it does sort of seem pretty right. much the same. Uh, I, for me, like I look at the briefings and I'm like, will I actually mm. write about this? And even if it's cool, if I'm not going to write about it, it's like, we, I'm not going to waste your time. Right. So, this, so I'm excited about two things. One is, is smart home stuff, which this was uh, announced publicly, but UTech, I believe, is the brand actually announced a thread over matter lock which would work with Apple Home and HomeKey. And I recently did a bunch of HomeKey lock comparisons on my YouTube channel. And there's really four locks in the US that work with HomeKey, which is not a huge selection. So it's nice to see another one. And now that Matter Over HomeKey or Matter Over Thread is a thing for locks on Apple Home, maybe we'll see more of those and just other devices at CES. And the other big one is Qi2, which is the next wireless charging standard. Qi2 is based on MagSafe. And of all my videos last year, all the, for some reason, MagSafe and wireless charging were like the biggest videos for some reason. <laughs> and like my video talking about why the 
why Apple killed the MagSafe battery pack and the MagSafe Duo was my highest viewed video last year. I, I don't know. Like, I didn't expect that. I find it fascinating. But I do know that uh, we will see Qi 2 announcements at CES. And so I'm excited for that. But well, what do you expect to see? What are you excited about seeing? I already mentioned TVs. That's a big part. Like that is the big thing that gets announced right. at CES, right? There are not, not a lot of computers announced, not a lot of smartphones announced, not, you know, that sort of thing is not nearly as, because all those companies right. do their own events, right? But TVs, there's, a lot, there's like a, a whole convention center full of televisions. And it is kind of cool. I like a nice TV. We have like the LG Sure. G one or something like that. It's just the nice OLED TV, whatever. So I don't even know the name. I mean, you, we've already established I'm not good with names. I've, I've I got my four children <laughs> named and that's it. But anyway, took it off after that. I can't remember yeah. other people's names, but there, you know, there is also often a lot of cool car technology, right? Sure. That's starting to become more of a thing, especially as it relates to electric vehicles, chargers, that kind of stuff is, is pretty cool. And then there's a lot of media. You know, I was at the Quibi announcement. I, <laughs> yes, I mentioned this to you yes. like back in 2020, which I mean, talk about bad timing. They like literally announced a product that you would use when you're out on the go and have like five minutes and then everyone had to stay home for a year. Mm. Like they never had a chance. But anyway, I don't think, I don't know, think, uh, it would, did, did you try it? Did you try Quibi? Oh yeah, they didn't have a chance anyway. But talk about terrible timing! Like sure. they, if they were going to have a chance, yeah, not then. COVID not was then. not it. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't. Anyway, I mean, it was a bad idea anyway. But it was a bad idea that was given a very bad set of circumstances to try to, you know, it's like somebody, it's like a baby, it's like a baby bird with no wings got pushed out of the nest to see if it could fly. Like I, I'm not here to defend Quibi by any means, but I will say the idea. So if you didn't know, Quibi, it was a video streaming service with the intention of vertical video being the primary like medium, high quality vertical video, which is different. Like vertical video today is like TikTok reels and YouTube shorts, which there are some highly produced ones, but it's more so like kind of just raw, like maybe even low quality videos. And that's kind of the allure sometimes depending on the creator. But Quibi was gonna like make shows mm -hmm. that you could watch vertically and it would make sense and look good. But you could also rotate your device, watch it in normal widescreen, and it would also be formatted that way. So like if you were watching an interview, if you were holding your device vertically, you could see one person in the interview. If you flipped your device sideways, you can see like both people because it's widescreen. And like that idea that you could create one piece of content that could be consumed at any rotation and it actually look good like it was like on purpose, I think is an interesting idea, but it is obviously very difficult to execute. And I think you probably need like creators and YouTubers to be able to do that. And that was not going to be something accessible to them. Like this was going to be a streaming service. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe it didn't have a Well, and just to be clear, like not only what you just described, which is absolutely true, but you could have the vertical be, let's say it was, you're making a horror show, like a six minute horror show. It could be like the POV version of right. it, like the person, like the protagonist version. But then when you flipped it widescreen, you would be looking third person at the, like, so you could have completely independent, like streams of content, depending on right. which way, which is definitely interesting. They spent a ton of money to acquire, like Steven Spielberg was attached to right, a show, right. right? And this was Jeffrey Katzenberg who like made the little, Mer like he was the head of Disney studios and then yes. DreamWorks and, and Meg Whitman was the CEO from, you know, I guess right. eBay and HP are her two claims to fame. So like it was not for a lack of trying, but anyway, sure. so that's the other big thing that oftentimes we see at CES are big media related things. Right. Sometimes you'll see like, like last year, Delta Airlines had a big um, push while they were there. So you see these big companies that'll show up when they have a thing that they want to get out in front of people. And that's, that's cool. Um, 
do, do I expect anything revolutionary to happen? No, I think that the biggest product is that's going to happen this year is what we'll talk about next. And that's mm-hmm. not going to be at CES. What is interesting at CES, I do expect to be true is a lot of companies try to get out whatever they think Apple's going to do before Apple does it and they realize all the oxygen has been sucked out of the room. <laughs> this is true because Apple doesn't yeah. announce things at CES. No. They did have uh, their head of privacy was there in 2020 sitting on a stage with the head of policy from Facebook, which is a really interesting conversation. Interesting. And they were talking about privacy, but that was the last time that Apple has sent somebody, I think, to yeah. actually present at CES. I am curious if we're going to see headset. I mean, obviously the Meta Quest is like the big headset. It's already out. Yep. And so yep. I'd be curious, like any other company that's going to make a headset, I imagine it's just going to be for show and they have to make like some kind of audacious hardware claim because they're not going to have the ecosystem or whatever. But AI headsets, you know, weird tech. I'm here for it. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but <laughs> yeah. well, you, you, let me know, you let me know if you go. When are you going to decide? Are you going to decide like Sunday afternoon? Like, what are you going to go? Yeah, my flight is supposed to leave Sunday afternoon, so I should decide before <laughs> that. I probably will know. For Actually, I have decided I'm not going to go on Sunday. If I go, oh, okay. it will be a little bit later in the week. Okay. So, but I probably will know by the end of, by the time people listen to this, I probably will have decided for sure. This is this is going to be great follow-up. What I mean to say is by the time people listen to this, I probably will have canceled my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> my plane ticket. And maybe maybe I'll have bought a ticket. I don't know. I don't. I literally have my, I, I have the badge. Can I, can I just sell mine to you? Does it work that what? way? Can I sell mine to you? I don't know. I don't know. You're flying Delta? You're going to fly Delta? I am flying Delta. That's true. Well... So. Anyway, I don't know. I, I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to put the pass in my Apple Wallet app to feel like to have a little less FOMO, just feel like I'm part of CES. And then I'll just watch all the coverage from my, my home office and cover it that way. Yeah. I mean, if you follow like the live blog from The Verge, you'll probably get most of the information. <laughs> See, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. All right. The other big topic, of course, is Apple Vision Pro. And it seems like even rumors and Mark Gurman, the seemingly omniscient Mark Gurman, is saying that January 26th is a floating date that we might hear maybe an announcement. I just saw an Apple Newsroom article, like notification on my Mac. I was like, Vision Pro? No, it's uh, Apple Fitness Plus offers more ways to uh, <laughs> to work out and meditations. Never mind. Just want to make sure I didn't uh, miss anything in that Apple Newsroom article. Okay. <laughs> Mark Grimm is saying January 26th, so we could, as early as the end of this month, January 2024, at least have an announcement, maybe an event. I know I've heard rumblings that the retail staff is being trained, that certain retail staff are actually being like flown out to Cupertino to be trained on how to train other staff, and then they'll be like sent back to their regions and do things there. I'm very excited. Do you think there's going to be like, an, like a launch event? Like, is Apple going to do a virtual event? to talk more about Vision Pro? Is this going to be like press release? How do you think this is going to go? You know, they already announced it, obviously, at WWDC, and they did briefing, hands-on, not brief, just briefings, hand-on, hands-on demonstrations, about a half an hour long, where you actually sat and got to use the, use the Vision Pro. And I don't know how many people that was. I, I think it was probably less than a 1,000. I, I really don't have a way of gauging that, but it was not everyone that was at WWDC had an opportunity, but then they started to do their developer things. I think it might've been you that I heard mentioned that um, they were sending out emails to developers, like get ready for vision OS. And that that was a thing that usually happens just before they actually launch a product, like get ready for iOS 17 and it's coming in a couple of weeks or something like that. So it does seem pretty obvious. I can't remember where I said this and I'm not trying to lay down, like I told you so points, but I, my guess was, they would try to coordinate it somewhat closely 
to the 40th anniversary of the original Mac, mm. which is January 24th, mm. right? And so the 26th would be pretty, would be close enough to say like, you know, 40 years ago, we launched the most revolutionary personal computing device. And then we did the same thing, you know, however many years ago, and now we're doing it again kind of thing. I do think that there will be some kind of an event, even if it's similar to the Mac Pro Scary Fast event, where they do a pre-recorded keynote thing. They fly people to, no, they don't fly people. They offer, you can come, fly, <laughs> you yourself, can fly yourself, get here. Um, I want to be real clear about that. You can come. We will let you in the building <laughs> if your name is on this list. Right. But get here. People will go to maybe New York or to Cupertino or maybe multiple places. I'm not really sure. And and do some kind of a thing. I think that they want the profile to be big enough Yeah. where it's it's sort of a, a moment to because this is... Like they're betting a lot on this. This doesn't feel like Apple TV where it's a hobby mm. and if it doesn't work out, right? that's cool. I think I think Tim Cook is very in on spatial computing. That's the sense that I get. I am, like this feels wild. Like, you know, when the Apple Watch was launched, it was clear that this is a new, like a new product category for Apple. It wasn't a new product category in general. Like there were smartwatches before that, but it did feel like this right. Apple Watch is now going to bring smartwatches and wearable devices to the masses. And this is now going to be an, like it might, it wasn't with the first generation Apple watch, maybe even not the second. I think series three is when it finally became a little more ubiquitous. You started seeing just like normal people wearing Apple watches. Like that was a clear moment to say now smartwatches and wearables are a thing and Apple makes the thing, you know, just like AirPods was kind of the, uh, you know, wireless headphone revolution. Like, yes, there were Bluetooth headphones before, Yep. They looked funny and didn't sound very good, but AirPods was like, now this is an industry and now we have Pixel Buds and all this kind of stuff, Samsung, whatever. Vision Pro is obviously, like Apple is obviously positioning Vision Pro to be that for AR, VR and spatial computing that this product, even though there have been headsets before, is going to now open the door to the masses and this is going to be a thing. And I am extremely excited to try it. You have actually tried it. So, you know, I'm curious mm-hmm. how you feel this is going to go. But I I feel like this is going to be a harder sell than wearables, like the Apple Watch, a ha- much harder sell than AirPods, not just because of the cost. You know, there will be cheaper versions of the of headsets, maybe Vision Air, <laughs> Vision, uh, you know, no name, no moniker, just Apple Vision. I don't know. So there'll be cheaper headsets and it'll be more accessible in the future. But to say that this is now going to, like, three years from now, change it where spatial computing is ubiquitous or, or at least more common, I'm very curious. I mean, you have tried this. I, I'm obviously going to get one. I want to know <laughs> what it's going to feel like. Will I work in VR? Like, yes, obviously, I'll probably watch movies there because it's going to be the best looking thing, most immersive. But, like, am I going to spend hours in a headset with some windows around? Like, I don't know. How do you feel about this? Well, first I have a question. And my question is, do you envision that at some point in your life, you will wear the Vision Pro and the Humane AI (laughs) pin at the same time? And if so, will you promise that you will never leave your house like that? (laughs) So in my mind, my video idea is to like go to a highly populated area in Tampa, like a food hall with the AI pin and just like talk to people about it. Like that's my video idea. Plus other ones that I'd make with it. I feel like Vision, like... For, well, hey, no, I won't do I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'll do it just for you. I'll do it on this podcast. <laughs> when I have both on this podcast, I'll wear the, the headset, wear the pin, and things will just be talking to me constantly. 
Uh, but no. I won't. Oh my goodness. Do but I don't know. How do, how do you, I mean, you've tried it. So what do you think? Yeah. Oh, well, so when I think about the Vision Pro, the piece that I feel like is really interesting is if you look back, you talked about AirPods. I think the thing that Apple did that made those a completely like a thing people actually wanted was they were able to make them completely wireless, right? right in sync together. Right. right. That was not a thing that existed before the AirPods. That was the reason that it's like, oh, because there were wireless Bluetooth headphones and earbuds, but they all had like a wire between them, right. for example, or that kind of thing. So the AirPods were really the first example of these are Bluetooth. Bluetooth. They're completely independent. You can just use one of them. And when that one dies, you can switch and put the other one in. Like they, that was what changed it. The same thing if you think about like the iPhone, the thing that made the iPhone a device people would use was the multi-touch display because mm. touch displays sucked before that. Right. And so there would be no iPhone without like that sort of a thing. So when you look at the Vision Pro, I think that the piece that Apple has done, no one has done before. The gestures, I guess, is a pretty important piece of it. Like they're very intuitive, right? You just look with your eye and whatever you're looking at with your eye, it selects and then you just pinch with your fingers to like actually select that thing. Yeah. So that's a that's a piece no one else has gotten right. Meta does not do that like that, right? And even the new Quest does not have the same quality of displays right right apple is willing to put a display in front of you and they've mastered sort of the pass through video so i just wanted to say that's the piece that makes the apple vision pro i think different than other headsets in the way that the uh, airpods were different than other bluetooth the way that Mm. the phone is different than other smartphones before that so that that i think that's an important thing to understand and using it so yeah i was at wwc had a chance to use it I could envision sitting here in my office and using it to do certain work, especially certain collaborative things. I don't think I would just sit here and write. Right. That would be strange and a little bit overkill, right? But I... You could be writing like in the mountains, though, sitting at a lake. I could. Actually, you know what? That's not a terrible idea because sometimes See? when you have to be creative, you just want to get away. So I, I'm not discounting that piece of it. But I think like for research, for, for certain yeah. types of work... One of the pieces that didn't feel fully fleshed out at the time was sort of the FaceTime call right. type thing piece where you where you look like you an avatar-ish version of yourself yeah Yeah, sort of and you're sort of like floating in the air kind of a thing but you're in a space together um it's not quite like horizons workrooms that kind of thing excuse me but i could definitely see that because i hate zoom calls (laughs) i hate that sort of thing and i could see it as being a better way of doing that but i do think at least in the nearest term entertainment will be the killer app especially Mm -hmm. if they can deliver on some of the things that they are sort of promising like their partnerships with disney and espn um that sort of thing like being able to experience maybe the star wars area at the magic kingdom without actually going to like those types of things i feel like people would be willing to justify something that is expensive and they're more conducive to doing them when you're by yourself right. as opposed to like you know no one wants to sit in a cubicle in a room with 300 other people wearing vision pro that feels very dystopian it feels dystopian i will say uh, my my brother-in-law and his wife were in town over the holidays and uh, he produces music and like so he works in logic and pro tools doing that and like this is again how much of a bubble sometimes it is they had not heard of vision pro yet they didn't know apple was making a headset which i find fascinating like just fascinating. But I was explaining to him, like, basically this kind of workflow. And right now, if you go watch youtube.com slash at primary tech show, showing visuals the entire time. Yeah. This is like the moment when there's a guy working at a desk and he's got three windows open, kind of large, and he can look all, all around and use a keyboard and mouse like you would controlling his Mac. 
And I was telling him, like, you can make these windows as big as you want. And for like a music producer, one of the challenges is you want the biggest display possible so you can see as many tracks as possible. If you're editing, you know, producing music or whatever, you're gonna, you might have hundreds of tracks, orchestras, you know, you might have tons of instruments and you're always going to be limited or previously by the physical monitor that you're running Logic Pro 10 on or Pro Tools or whatever. And so now like you could literally make that as big as you want, like make it 10 feet tall and see, you know, a hundred tracks all at once. I assume, I don't know if you could speak from your experience with it, like I assume once you size a window in the Apple Vision Pro, like in augmented reality, that if you like step forward to it, it gets bigger. Does, is that, or does the window like move with you? Do you remember if that, how that works? No, it's, it's like, it has object permanence in that right. virtual space. So yeah, that would be true. Like if you had put up, a, I mean, what we're looking at now, if you were watching the video, is someone standing at a table, but if that table wasn't there and that person decided to walk forward, it would be as though you're walking in the example was we, there was a part of the demo where they had the, the wall, we were sitting in a room and the wall at the other end of the room opened up and a dinosaur came right. into the room right. and it which was very visceral let me tell you and then they're like get up and go see the dinosaur and i'm like i'm good <laughs> but i did right and it was as if i was getting closer to it okay, it wasn't right. like it moved away from me so i mean i could see you know like a music producer just have a you know a massive window with hundreds of tracks with nothing like you don't need a desk or, or chair or maybe just have a chair that you can like throw back dramatically and then walk up to this, you know, <laughs> huge window of Logic Pro 10 and like inspect the tracks closely, like which would normally be like a command plus maybe you want to zoom in on the timeline or whatever. I'm sure there would be people that would like to just physically like go to the track that I want to edit, like walk to it. Yep. You know, swipe up to it and then, you know, see it as big as you want. Like, you know, like hold your face right up against the quote unquote digital window and make the edits. Like maybe that's compelling. You know, I'd, for some, uh, you know, there's, of course, there's like the mechanic or repair type use cases where like maybe repair people, whether it's aviation or cars, like you could wear this and there would be apps where augmented reality could show you like unscrew this first and it gives you that step by step or like yep. Ikea furniture build ikea furniture with apple vision pro and you can literally like it will point to where you put the little wooden dowel in the hole <laughs> you don't have to wonder yeah if this is right like some of those just like normal use cases that we had paper manuals for or whatever it might it might change that so i don't know i'm excited yeah i'm excited for no it. i think it'll be very interesting to see how people use it but i do think that I, th I think because they have done the technology so well that as long as the software is available for whatever use case you care the most about, like yeah. you're going to want to try this. I think that people yeah. are going to, is it worth $3,500? That's really tough to say. Cause that is a lot of money, like a lot of real money for a lot of people. Um, but I think that like, as was you the just, golden Apple watch worth $10,000? No, but most people didn't, although that just became obsolete. They won't even repair it. That's anymore. true. Like that <laughs> happened last year. Ugh. That was sad for people. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it was only sad for some people who were so rich that they don't even right, know exactly. where that Apple Watch <laughs> yeah. is anymore. <laughs> they weren't wearing it. Anyway. Do, uh, my, my last question on Vision Pro, since the 17.2 update, if you have a 15 Pro or Pro Max, you can capture spatial video right now to view in the Vision Pro when it comes out. Have you been capturing spatial video? So I did some on Christmas morning. Same. I thought, <laughs> I, it was like, oh, I should. Uh, and actually, you helped me because I had no idea how to make it happen. I'm like, uh, I open the camera. Listen, I'm a tech columnist. I'm a pretty smart person, 
but I'm also very impatient. Mm. So I don't always have the patience to dig and figure out where something would be. So I usually just like search for it or check Steven's Twitter, you Thank know, you. threads you. account. Yeah. Cause he's usually come up with a, come up with a tip for it. And I'm like, how do I even do this? And I'm, oh, I have to turn it on. And once I turn it on, it just, you know, gives you that option. So I did on Christmas morning, I recorded some of that. Cause I was trying to think like, is there a thing that's happening in my life right now? I will care about enough later to watch back in spatial video. Right. And Christmas morning seemed like it would be that moment. I wish I would have thought about it. Actually, it wasn't out during when we were in Florida for Thanksgiving. So I, I wouldn't have been able to do it then. Anyway, right. So I did the exact same thing. Uh, when my kids were opening some gifts. I captured some spatial video, like a minute or two. And I'm just very curious how that's going to feel in the headset. And I'm curious if there's going to be like a wave of like, man, I wish I've had this for years because I would have loved to experience other memories in this kind of VR space. Or if it's going to be like, this is like those weird, uh, I don't know if you remember HTC made like 3D phones where you could capture 3D video and then actually mm. display it on the phone. But it was like the mm -hmm. worst 3D ever, uh, which I doubt, <laughs> no, this will not be like that. But, you know, I'm just right. curious what that visceral reaction is going to be. Like how, like, do I feel like I was there again? Like, do I feel like I'm literally living this memory again, like a dream? Or will it be, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. That was a part of the demo, right? right? They did a couple of those. The one thing I think that people might, I don't know if people think of it this way or not, but imagine you'd open your photos app, yeah. right? And you click on the video and it's a spatial video. So it is still confined to like a window, right? It is not like a panoramic surround. It's not like, it's not like you're standing in the middle of that. You can't like right. navigate around your spatial video, but you're watching something that has depth and it was a little hard to tell because the ones that we were watching were obviously not things we cared about. You know, and right. some people are on a campfire or that kind of thing. It was like, think maybe was it Alicia Keys in a music studio? Maybe was one of them. I, I know it was in a music studio. I think it was Alicia Keys. And, and it was like you were there. Sure. It, it was, it was like, and it was, it was sort of like, wow. I mean, I'm not emotionally gripped by this because I don't know who these kids are at this campfire. You know, there was the birthday party scene was the other one, yeah. but I could imagine like if that was my, like that's, that's pretty amazing. So well, I'm excited. We'll see. We'll uh, obviously talk about it here on the show if we have an event or anything. And, uh, you know, Jason gets invited to these things. So maybe my proxy, I will too one day, but at least you get to go. You get to experience these. Things. We're working on it. We're I'm working on, on it. We're working on it. <laughs> All right, one quick follow-up and then a little personal tech. In the, our, our first episode, like our preview episode, we were talking about, can you use an iPad as a home hub if you wanted to use Apple Home Kit? And so did the digging and here's the Apple support article. I'll put it uh, in the show notes, but you can-ish. So there was that HomeKit architecture upgrade with iOS 16, I believe. Uh, I think it was a dot update. And you could update the architecture of your home to be more reliable or whatever. If you did that and your smart home is now on that new architecture, which I imagine if you're starting from scratch today, it would be on that new architecture. You cannot use an iPad as a home hub. You could if you were on the older version of HomeKit that did not use that new architecture. So that's the caveat. I think basically going forward, Apple does not want you to do this. And so it will not be supported as a home hub with that new, more reliable architecture. So not anymore uh, seems to be the answer. Okay, so quick question. How do I know if I'm on the new? Because none of the stuff in my house is reliable. That <laughs> Just to be clear. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, that's a good question. Right now it says seven, seven accessories, no response. Oh, let me see where <laughs> mine what is. That's tells me. I'm only two accessories, no response. And one, I have to change the battery. Uh, so I'm doing pretty well right now. Uh, but I really have no idea. I think if you go to the home settings, 
and you go to the software update, if you don't see the architecture update there, probably means you're on the new architecture. <laughs> and okay. uh, if you see the update, uh, that's where it would prompt you to do it. But there's no like obvious you, new in red letters or whatever. Like it's not that. If, right. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, no. In in the one of the one of the devices that never respond. We don't have to talk about this for very long, but I will have questions someday. Is the is the I want to say what brand because I don't want to throw them under the bus. But the front door lock that we have, which I love, mm-hmm. but it never responds to HomeKit. Anymore. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> Seems problematic though. Like it's how you get in the front door. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work. You know, I have a video actually uh, reviewing the uh, or HomeKit. Anyway. Uh, you know that's on the- all right i'll watch it i promise <laughs> no we can talk okay. about it on a future one too we can follow up we will uh, we, we're both yep. uh, smart home people so we will have smart home content in the future for sure absolutely let's round out the show with uh, some news but also bring it back to a personal uh, aspect the apple store infinite loop or it's the apple infinite loop store yep uh, is actually closing on january 20th it has been around for a long time. It was Apple's initial headquarters, One Infinite Loop. It's where uh, Jim Dalrymple, uh, you know, his fam- his publication called The Loop it was based on this name. And uh, it's closing. I guess it's been an Apple store recently. I have not ever had a chance to go here. Have you been to this store? Yeah, I have. I've, 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 not only have I been there, oh. but I have merch from oh, there. Oh, my goodness. I, oh, so here's the thing. I have to be clear. Yeah. I've been to both this one and I've been to the uh apple park visitor center humble, which humble sounds like mm-hmm. it's a visitor center but it's but it's actually an apple store right. at apple park and those are the only two stores where you can buy merch right, right. so i have my i have a i have an apple hat so you even brought it thing you brought it to the podcast to show off what else do you have uh, just because <laughs> this one obviously did not come from infinite loop but this is obviously from apple park mm-hmm. a t-shirt mm-hmm. and then i've got a couple of these pens oh, my. so anyway i have been there um, yeah, it's it, in, I'm so sorry. Well, go now before they close. You've got 16 <laughs> got, more got days before weeks. they shut that one up. Two weeks. That, yeah, but it, it is. So, I mean, the cool thing about it, it's, it is, it, when you walk in, it's an Apple store, right. like just to be clear, it, but it used to be the company store. So it used to be like the employee store and it's funny. I don't know if you've ever seen old pictures of it, but I mean, it looked like a comp USA kind of a, I mean, it was like rows of software and device, you know, and sweatshirts and it looked like a cross between like small comp usa and like a college swag store Hmm. like you know the bookstore kind of a thing and so that was and then i think it was what 2015 ish maybe they converted it to an apple store um Mm -hmm. and then in and then in 2017 is when they opened i think the apple park store and it it's kind of like I think taken maybe a backseat to it at that point, because obviously if you're going to go to Cupertino because you care about Apple, you're probably going to go to the spaceship, not right. to infinite loop, but it's nostalgic. Anyway, it, it is, it is a cool thing. It is very cool. It is one of the two places you can get swag. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, the swag is different at the two stores, oh. right? So if you want to have a chance to buy all the swag, you have to go to both. Now, maybe they will take the stuff from this store and put it up at the visitor center now because this will be closed, but yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, it is kind of bittersweet that it's closing down. So. so what you're saying is I need to go to CES and then at the end of CES, hop on a little flight over to Cupertino. I've never been to Cupertino. I've never been to San Francisco. That's a place I need to go. My goal is this year, if you're listening, Apple, this year to go to some, to have a reason to go to Apple Park. Yeah. They'll probably talk about it if they have like a Vision Pro thing to say, end of an era. 
big giant. I don't know. Maybe not. They might. They they might because they do sometimes talk about stores and stuff. Right. This is actually one of two stores that is closing down this month. The other one is in Honolulu, oh. which I did realize I've actually been to that one as well. Oh I don't know. I mean, it's not that one's not nearly as nostalgic, but That's it is. Cool, there are two that are closing. This one though is the one that I think people. I don't know if they should know about it, but it is it is the end Classic, of an era. Yeah. I, that's kind of a cliche, but it's it's a big deal because this was the there was a point in time when this was literally the only Apple merch right. store official store. I do so. think it's ironic that there's no Genius Bar appointments available at one. <laughs> can't, can't make a Genius appointment there. Um, but I don't even know if they have a. They may not even have a Genius Bar in there. To be honest, I'm not sure. Well, now there's not even so. Here's where we talk about the personal tech. Back in my day, back right. in my day, Apple Store, <laughs> there was the literal like genius bar and they would have the words yep. on the wall. And if you made an appointment, you would walk up to a bar. It was like a wooden, at least in the ones yep. I went to, it was like a bar and that's where you go to get your support. And now if you make a genius bar appointment, you know, they check you in and they're like, yeah, sit over there, you know, sit at this random table or go, yep, go stand against the back yeah, wall. Go stand the back <laughs> yep. wall. I was like, okay, I wish I knew there was a place to go, which I just recently heard John Syracuse talk about how he wishes there were still checkout lines at the Apple store, which there used to be again. Like I remember. And so, uh, okay. You, you had, I think an excellent uh, topic in here to talk about Apple stores, like our experience in Apple stores yep. and all that. And so I'll just say my, my very first experience I grew up in upstate New York and I didn't go to the city very often. I was in Fishkill, if you were curious. That was where the town I grew up in. And the nearest Apple store was actually in Connecticut. It was the Danbury Mall Apple store. And that was like the mall that when we were in high school, we would go to. That was like, you know, it was just fun. It was a big mall. It had an Apple store. And I remember the first time going into that, it just, just blew my mind. Like it was just this amazing experience. And then I spent uh, the next summers during college still in New York, actually interning in the city, and I became completely spoiled by Apple stores. Mm. I would literally, as when I interned at my job, it was an insurance company over the summer, I would take my, the subway at lunch at an hour, and I timed it perfectly. I could get down to the subway, get to the Apple store on Prince Street in Soho, which was an amazing store. It was two stories, two-story Apple store. The upper story had a theater. It literally had like five or six rows of theater seating with a huge screen. Yep. And I think they've remodeled it uh, since, but it was just an incredible Apple store. I loved going there just to look around, just to walk around. The very first Apple product I ever bought was in that store and it was an iPod video. That was my first ever Apple product. And then uh, later that summer, I bought a G4 12 inch uh, PowerBook. <laughs> that was my second Apple product, my first <laughs> Mac. But then being in New York around that time and then the years subsequent, I was spoiled by like Fifth Avenue Apple Store opened the the Cube. And so I definitely visited that. That's awesome. Just architecturally or whatever. The Grand Central Station Apple Store, which is just a wild experience. Also beautiful. Has the amazing architecture of Grand Central Station or whatever. Like those are like my Apple stores kind of as I came into the Apple world and they were all wonderful. And now I go to uh, the brand in Florida Apple store, which is like, whenever I post pictures of it, people are like, that thing's tiny. Where are you? Like, what Apple store is this? <laughs> it is literally one of the smallest Apple stores. It's like been around for a while. It's not updated. And it kind of stinks that that's my <laughs> local Apple store. <laughs> but, you know, that's what it is. But anyway, but but the ones I grew up in New York were amazing. I so the I think the very first Apple store I ever went to was the one at Fashion Valley Mall in San Diego because I live in Michigan and not in New York when we don't we didn't I don't even know when the first Apple store in Michigan opened. The first one I remember 
being able to go to is the one in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And mm-hmm. it was probably similar to what you're talking about. It was very small. It's still small, but it was like one of the, if you think of them in terms of like the smallest unit, right, which is basically two tables down the middle and then the, the things along the edge, that's, I think the smallest unit. That's, that's and that's the brand of Florida. Apple store. And now I, <laughs> so now I think it's twice that size, which is still fairly small, but it, it's, it, it has expanded since then. That was the first one. And I, so and the Fashion Valley one is probably pretty similar. I don't actually have any recollection except for going in there and being like, this is amazing, right? Like it was just such a cool thing to me to be able to go there for the first time. And this was like sometime in the early 2000s. I don't exactly remember when. Um, but the I would say the my favorite period of time for the... That's, that's um, the Apple Vision. But just by the way, real quick. So this is the Fashion Valley Apple Store. Here's a picture if you're watching. Okay, it did... It probably didn't look at like that 20 years ago, right. I, you know, whatever. But yes, that is it now. And that's, 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 so even that, that's what I would call like the twice the yeah, size and it's, it's a lot. So that's probably two to three times bigger than the original Grand Rapids one that I used to go to. So. Right. And this, I just want to show um, this one, but I do, this is the, uh, the oh, Soho yeah. Apple store. I guess it was, it used to be United States post office. Uh, but this is the store and you can yeah. kind of see through the window, that glass staircase going up to the second floor. And it was just a wonderful, I love that Apple store. Yeah. So I think that the golden age of Apple stores was probably pre Angela Aaron's mm-hmm. not saying anything bad about her, but they, when they started to make some changes and remodeling them, because you used to have like the Chicago Michigan Avenue store, which was similar to what you described where it had the theater upstairs right. and it felt like a theater, right? Like it actually felt like you were in a theater because they had, you know, chairs that kind of in, you know, seating and then, the floor went down and then there's a person standing in front of a big screen. Uh, the San Francisco store was just like that as well. The flagship store, the new San Francisco store is great. The new Michigan Avenue Chicago store is great. It's right down on the river. The problem is now like the theater is just like a bunch of wooden boxes, like on the floor that you can like sort of come and sit Mm. on. And there's like a screen and stuff. It just doesn't have the same kind of feel. And I'm sure that someone at Apple feels like they're way better, but I do think that we, we may be post golden era Apple store, mm. except you described the the Soho store as being, you know, it was an old post office. Apple has done that. Like the Tower uh, Theater in Los Angeles is another example of where they renovated something very cool. I've been to the um, Pasig de Gracia, which is the store in Barcelona, which is another one that they, you know, kind of took over a building that already existed and renovated it. And I do think that like, those are so cool yeah. that they will restore these buildings and they will give new life to them. And they obviously it looks very much like an Apple store, but it also still very much maintains the character yes. of those original buildings. So with the exception of those flagships, I do think that I have a lot of nostalgia for some of the older styles of some of the stores. So yes, this is the, the, the tower theater one. They respect yeah. the architecture. You know, just like the Grand Central Station. Yep, store. Absolutely. They just respect what the building is and they kind of build around and into it. And it looks beautiful. Like any, I don't know, any other brand I feel like would probably ruin it. Let's be honest. Which are there still Microsoft stores? Do they still do that or not anymore? No, they closed the last ones. They did. Nope, okay. Those closed a little while ago. That was, uh, yeah, you tried to copy this thing, but no. no nobody <laughs> but can. no. That's our Apple Store nostalgia. That was pretty fun. That's our personal take at the end. So, we're going to go into some uh, quick bonus episode in which we're going to talk about how we met and naming the show, which was a challenge. But before we go, I want to let you know to get access to those bonus episodes, you can support us directly in Apple Podcasts. That subscription is live. Plus, you can get an ad-free version of the show as well if you would like. $5 a month, $50 a year in Apple Podcast, And through Memberful, you can go to primarytech.fm and do it that way if you want to get that uh, RSS feed there. 
And I just want to say, I believe in podcasting, which I meant that to be like a Godfather reference where they say, I believe in America at the beginning. But like, if you look okay, at- Okay, but wait, do you know what the next sentence of that reference is? I don't. <laughs> what is the next Do you one? know the next sentence of that reference? Which makes it even funnier because you were just talking about supporting this podcast because the reference is, I believe in America. And I do believe that the next sentence is something like, it's in America that I made my fortune or something like that. <laughs> so like That's the perfect. reference, I believe in podcasting. Podcasting is where I made my fortune. <laughs> well, I butchered the exact quote, but that's basically what it is. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I do not expect a fortune, but I will say like, when you look at the, the landscape of podcasts, many are like based of a, on a network or come from like another a publication. And this is like, we are complete, like it's me and Jason here. There's no one else. <laughs> Like we are doing it. This is true. A, this is all no, you get. Not even working. <laughs> there's no like not even working with an ad agency yet. Like we worked with uh, our uh, audio hijack directly. And so supporting the show would be a huge deal. If you listen to the ATP podcast, you know, they talk about this a lot, but going into the future, you know, I think advertising and podcasting will still be around, but direct support from people who love and watch and listen to the show is going to be a big deal. And so we would love your support. Uh, we would really appreciate it. We have bonus episodes now as part of that. And of course, add free versions of the show. Maybe there'll be more, more benefits in the future. Uh, we'll see what people want or what people ask for, but yeah, that's a, uh, so support the show. Those links will be down in the podcast show notes and we really appreciate it. And of course, five-star rating. If you've not, uh, it was a new show. So any five-star ratings you can give would be greatly appreciated both in apple Podcasts and in spotify you can do five stars and reviews and uh, we really appreciate it excited to do this new show just want to say thank you jason for uh, for doing this with me it's a lot of fun hey listen i appreciate it i feel a lot of pressure because i've said many times that steven is the most podcasting person i know oh. and so doing a podcast <laughs> on a regular basis with steven there's a lot of pressure here i was super excited that i like felt like I was super productive and did a little bit of research ahead of time because <laughs> well, I was just you... like, one of these days, Steven's just going to just feel like, I got to cut the dead weight, man. <laughs> no, man. No, and we'll talk about this in the bonus episode in a second, but it was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching youtube.com slash at primary tech show. You can watch the show there. We'll publish video version there and audio. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Every Thursday, we'll have a new episode out. And thanks again. This has been Primary Technology.